Welcome back to the Marvelous Middle Age Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with Josie Foss. Josie is a mom of two, runs a nonprofit, and has always had a passion for writing. I met Josie last year through Mothers Together, a support community for moms of neurodivergent children. Today, we talk about the unexpected parenting journey we are on and how important support is for parents of older children who are different. We share our thoughts on the joys and challenges we and our children face. We also discuss the book she is in the process of writing about this parenting journey. If you or someone you know is the parent of a neurodivergent child, this is such an important episode. I hope you enjoy my conversation with my friend, Josie Foss. Josie Foss, welcome to the Marvelous Middle Age podcast. I'm so excited that you are here. Nicole, I am so excited too. I've really been looking forward to talking to you. Well, I tell you, we we just we just poloed this morning, so I feel like I've already talked to you today. <laughs> we'll get into Thanks. why we polo Thanks. each other here in a minute, but um, every morning we usually all kind of start out and give an update, and so we've already been doing that a little bit this morning. Now we're we're talking live, which is super fun. I, I love this it. Is- not our normal, but very lovely. I know. I know. It's great. It's great. I love it. Well, before we get started, um, would you just introduce yourself to everyone, you know, a little bit about your family, you know, what you do, who you are, all that good stuff. Yeah. So my name's Josie. Um, I live in New Jersey. Uh, at this point in my life, I would say almost my entire attention is occupied either by work or by my kids. Mm. Um, so I think this is really common for women in particular in middle age, just to find themselves, you know, in the daily grind in a way that doesn't leave a lot of time for anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do have two wonderful children who we'll talk a little bit about today. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also run a foundation in, in Princeton. Um, so that's a lot of time and a lot of attention. The kids are a lot of time and attention. Um, and at the end of the day, it doesn't leave a lot of room for me, which is why meeting you uh, mm-hmm. and the other women in our group um, has been such a godsend. So I'm just really thrilled to get to talk about that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, it's funny. Um, most people in my life that I know, I can't pinpoint the date that I, I met them, but I can with you because how we met was through something called Mothers Together. Uh, Mothers Together is something, um, if you, I started following on the hard days, which is a Instagram account run by a woman named Megan Champion. She is the mother of three neurodivergent children. And I followed her forever. I don't know if you had started following her on Instagram at all, but she was doing this real series about why, what moms of neurodivergent kids wish they could say but they can't kind of thing. And I resonated with so many of those reels. And I I watched her for a long time and I found out she had this thing called Mothers Together. And I was like, what the heck is that? And it turns out it is a way for moms of neurodivergent children to connect in groups and get to know each other and just be a way to create community and support each other, validate each other, communicate with each other about what we deal with as moms, but it's really focused on the, the mother. It's, and we talk about our kids, obviously, as you and I both know, we talk about our kids all the time, but, and I thought, oh, that sounds great for somebody else, but I'm not, that's not for me. Well, I kept following her 
from afar and just watching her talk about mothers together. And I got more intrigued. So I went to like a, a webinar that she did. Uh, it was well attended. There were all these other women on it. And she was talking about what Mothers Together is. And she used the analogy of a house, like a welcoming home. Like it's a place where you can come and be supported and encouraged and relax and have some respite. And I thought, wow, okay. Because uh, I really didn't know anybody. I don't know about you, but I didn't really know many other moms of neurodivergent children well enough that I could talk to them about it. I knew other moms who had kids that were either on the spectrum or ADHD or something, but I didn't know anybody well enough to sit down and have like a really heartfelt soul bearing conversation. And so it really appealed to me that this might be a place where I could find some community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of how I found mothers together. How did you stumble across it? Was it different than that or? Very different than that. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here listening and thinking, wow, Nicole, that's a really thoughtful way to, to engage with, with something. And I actually, I think I signed up for our group the day I found mothers together. Um, (laughs) So I'm in uh, a bunch of groups on social media for parents of neurodivergent kids. um, And, you know, kind of have spent a lot of time reading people's posts and commenting and reading other people's comments. And there was a post up from a, from a mother and she was talking just very explicitly about the struggle that she was in at that moment. And I don't remember the specifics of what she was talking about, but reading the comments, you know, you kind of get your boilerplate, like, yes, this is hard. You know, you can do this. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. One of the comments pointed towards Megan Champion and towards mm-hmm. Mothers Together. And mm-hmm. so this is a resource you should check out. And I clicked through the link and immediately we was like, oh, yes, I resonate with this very, very oh, strongly. Great. Like you know, her messaging around just being open and honest about the fact that like, we absolutely love our kids more than anything. And Mm -hmm. this is the hardest thing that we've been tasked with doing, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's the hardest thing that we've been tasked with doing that we didn't knowingly take on. You know, I I think that's a big part of it. Like, yes, you know, many of us plan to be mothers. um, But this version of parenthood isn't necessarily what we were expecting to be signing on for. Um, So yeah, so I, I read a lot of Megan's content, I was really resonating with it. And then she posted, you know, about this activity of putting the moms together. And I think it was the last day when you could sign up. And she also had said, like, I'm going to hit pause on the program for a few months. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And so I was like, OK, uh, I don't have to think more about this. I'm just going to give it a go. Um, and so I, I signed up and she was great. The email came immediately with what the next steps were. And I remember logging into Marco Polo, which is the app that we use um, <laughs> as, you know, to, to sort of facilitate these conversations. Um, and, and you had left a message. You were the first person who had left a message. And, you know, you just kind of, I feel like you kind of set the tone of just like, I'm going to lay it out there and see what happens. Yeah. You know, you were super open and really vulnerable and I was like, okay, I'm picking up what she's putting down. And so, awesome. yeah, that's great. So I, I recorded a message. My first one, I actually had to delete, which took some doing because <laughs> I've never used the app before. I had neither. Because I found myself like immediately blubbering, like immediately, mm-hmm. like just, you know, the yeah. act of like owning the struggle and, mm-hmm. you know, and it was kind it's kind of a consequence free environment right because it's mm-hmm. 
It's an, it's an asynchronous messaging app. Like you don't know these people in real life. They don't know your kids. Um, and in the beginning, I mean, I think I know right. now I feel like I, I know you all extremely Yeah, well. I know. Me too. Um, me too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was it, the, the first message ended, you know, sort of very quickly devolved into tears, which I'm like, okay, this is, you know, yes, I, I, I understand that we're supposed to be forthcoming, but maybe this is a bit strong for the first message. So mm-hmm. I like figured out how to delete that yeah. and recorded one um, that I can only imagine at this point what it was that I said, but I was trying to basically emulate what you had modeled in terms of like all of the, the openness and those great qualities of just showing up and saying, you know what, I'm going to give this an honest go. Um, and I feel like that has been really one of the, one of the things that's created this environment that's so been so impactful for, for all of us, because I think if we had shown up, if you had shown up as the first message and had been guarded or had been trying to kind of like create an image, Mm. you know, of like, oh, it's hard, but I've, you know, but I've got it kicked or whatever. I think we all, everybody after you would have felt like, okay, that I should replicate that. And instead it was like, no, I'm going to be real. And just person after person after person came on and was like, you know, I, it, our stories are all different, but I think it all kind of boiled down to I'm struggling y'all mm-hmm. <laughs> and I need somebody to see me in this struggle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that has been an incredible, it's become such an incredible part of every day for me. And, you know, I, I know we're going to talk more about it, so I don't want to get too in the weeds at this point, but, um, yeah. you know, if I could gift something to probably every parent, every woman in middle age, and certainly every middle-aged mother of a neurodivergent child, it would be a community that brings mm-hmm. you that kind of um, respite and gives you that sense of being seen and being valued. Absolutely. I uh, You articulated it so well. And that's actually one of the things, one of the many things that I love about you is that, I first of all, I just love listening to your messages because you just have a way of articulating your thoughts, your your comments, everything just so well. It's, it's like reading a beautiful book, like, which we're going to talk more about books here in a minute, but, um, we are, and it's just, you always share things so eloquently. And even, you know, when we're having a hard time to, to get to hear from other moms who, and the other thing I love about it too, is I was finding before mothers together, lots of content from mothers of younger children, Mm-hmm. So there's lots of, of resources, I feel like, for moms of, of young children who are neurodivergent, whereas when you get into these teen years, it's a whole nother ball of wax, in my opinion, and there's so many other things coming into play. And the fact that our group, and it was intentionally, Megan t- intentionally did it this way, was to set us up with moms of children of similar ages. I think the youngest is maybe about 11. And then my son, I think is probably the oldest at 16. And, um, it's great, honestly, because if I had to read, I mean, that's, and this is nothing obviously against, you know, but if I had to read a child, you know, another child that was three, you know, it's like, my kid's not three. We didn't even know you. I mean, I knew he was, something was going on at three, but I mean, we didn't get the autism diagnosis till he was 13. So, I mean, I needed resources for someone with a child my age at the stage he was in. And so all the fact that all of you, we all have kids of similar ages going through kind of some similar things, i.e. puberty, hormones, (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, man. You couple that with neurodivergence. Yeah. Woo, buckle up, baby. It's it's yeah. interesting for sure. So that's the other thing Absolutely. I love about our group is that we all have kids the same age. And I agree. I mean, I think we all came on. And my my biggest concern, honestly, about joining Mothers Together was like, how is she going to take the information I put on that form and pair me with other moms that I'm going to click with and vibe with? And the mm-hmm. fact that the seven of us have, I mean, it is nothing short of a miracle. Like, it's a miracle to me, like, how well we all connect and we all, like you said, different backgrounds. We all live all over North America. We all have come from different faith traditions and families and stuff and employment and career. And some of us have partners, some are singles. I mean, we have all these differences yet. We have this one thing that bonds us and the seven of us just gelled. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And I think what you said about our kids being older, I feel like that's a really important part of it. I mean, I think showing up in this open, vulnerable way was was essential. But when you have a young child, like just in general, right, like everything is so moment to moment and you're figuring it out and you're, you know, you've got sort of the adrenaline push of like being a new mother and, you know, I'm responsible for this other life. And like, this is a whole new chapter in my life. And when they're neurodivergent, that comes with a, a huge number of extra things that you have to navigate, you know, mm-hmm. finding doctors and specialists and dealing with the schools and 504s and IEPs and medication and different therapies. And like, there's a whole universe of, you know, challenges that you, are, that are on your plate. And when your child's young, you know, I, I feel like you're generally younger, less tired, and it's, it's hard. And in a lot of ways, navigating that system can be very opaque because Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not laid out at your feet, Mm -mm. but there's a a trail of breadcrumbs to follow, right. To like support your child in getting what they need. And so a younger neurodivergent kid, you know, an engaged parent, which everybody wants to be right. Like there's Mm -hmm. a path forward there. And when your kid gets older, that path kind of disappears because you've done the things you've got mm-hmm. the doctors, you've got the specialists, you know, if you're fortunate, you've got meds worked out. Now I know mm-hmm. uh, we're not all so fortunate. Um, meds no. continue to be something that, you know, require attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, you've kind of, you've checked the boxes that are checkable and where you end up is in this place where, you know, you have a child who's, you know, different in a lot of ways than most of the kids of your friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, I know I can speak for myself, like long-term mom friends who that connection kind of withers because your kids are just on different tracks. You know, it's hard to, it's hard, especially when the relationship was based in, oh, we had babies at the same time. Right. Or, oh, our kids are in the same class. You know, it's hard to keep that alive when your children are diverging, you know, neurotypical mm-hmm. children, are doing things much differently than our children. And so it can be very isolating. And, you know, you said earlier about not having people where you felt like you had the confidence, you know, to really confidence in the sense of like shared uh, mutual understanding and everything um, to really speak about your neurodivergent parenting experience fully. And that I think is super true, you know, and, and as your kids get older, that only becomes more true. And so Mm -hmm. that sense of isolation, I think becomes more and more profound. I know for me, I can only speak for me, but as I, as I kind of watch uh, my, my older son's peers, 
you know, flourishing in sports and academic honor roll and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, exactly. Like the list goes on and on and on. Right. Yeah. And, and our children are astonishingly great at some really cool stuff. Right? Absolutely. But, but a lot of those traditional metrics of success, those aren't metrics that they measure against, mm-hmm. you know? And so as your kids age, it, you do feel more isolated and you do feel more like you just can't connect with other people as directly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah. And puberty is a wild ride under the best of circumstances. And I think one of the things that we've all sort of divined through our shared, you know, conversations is that puberty and neurodivergence are a, a very heady mix yeah. um, that can, can take you to some places that are far yeah. more challenging in a lot of ways than navigating with a younger child. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. And I think to, to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, I think some of the implications of their choices and their behavior, their performance at school, their performance, you know, I don't mean performance, like they're performing, but their, their behavior out in the world has, has bigger consequences. The things they're facing, uh, are, are bigger than when they're younger, right? Like I can just speak for myself with my son, you know, we've had to navigate him driving. I didn't know if he'd be able to drive. I mean, I, you know, I didn't know. Um, he, he is, he's, he's, you know, not exactly where we want him to be, but he's making progress. Um, thinking about his first job, you know, was this big ordeal. And, and luckily we have a great program that we work with locally here to help him with that. But these are bigger, it's like big life stuff, right? You know, it's like jobs and driving and thinking about post high school and relationships, you know, dating, um, things that when your kids are little, again, not that there aren't hard things about having a younger neurodivergent child, but when they're older, you know, there's mental health, um, issues that I think all of our, our kids kind of have. And so it's just really big, like you said, heady kind of topics and issues that we're facing that I just, I, I needed moms who could relate to that. And that's what this group has done for me is just every, like when we get on and the other thing too, not only can you guys relate to what I'm talking about, but there's no judgment. Yes. You know, cause we really go in on some stuff our kids are going through and there's no judgment. We, like I feel so safe talking to all of you about stuff that's going on, whether it's with me or with my son or whatever. I know you guys aren't going to judge me. I know you're not going to criticize me. The great thing is sometimes you guys offer just really great suggestions like, oh, have you thought about this? Or And I know it's coming from this place of like truly, honestly having my best interests in mind or my son's like, I feel like you guys care and I know I care about all of you and your kids too. And I want the best for all of you. And I feel that I feel that in spades coming back to me when I'm listening to all of you. And there's just, I mean, there's just, there's I can't think of anything else that's just better than that. The feeling safe and not judged because our kids, you know, they, yeah, they do some yeah. stuff, you know, <laughs> I, I, I completely echo that, completely echo that, um, you know, and as, as kids get older, the world becomes harsher on them. Mm -hmm. The expectations are more specific and 
you know, their peers are less forgiving, you know, I mean, and that's just yeah. human development, you know, that's not particular to neurodivergence, but, yeah. you know, a smaller child who's neurodivergent, that there's just a broader range of behaviors that are okay or excusable or sort of adults and peers look at these things and say, oh, you know, he's a little bit hyper. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a more forgiving world. And as they get bigger, a lot of that grace that's extended to smaller children goes away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the expectation is, well, you've had enough time to work this out. Like, how can you not, you know, figure it out? Why, yeah, exactly. Mm. Why are they still doing this stuff? Yeah. And, and like you're saying, I mean, being able to show up and be honest about the fact that like, Yes, my child is 13 or 16 or, you know, whatever the age is, the numerical age, but we are on the struggle bus about something that a neurotypical kid probably would have handled, you know, by a much younger age, you know, and we're still legit in the trenches on this. And yep. the advice is great. And one of the other elements of the advice is I feel like it always comes with the asterisk of if this isn't helpful just ignore it, you know, because yeah. one of the things that we know as parents of neurodivergent kids is like what works for one child will not necessarily work at all for another. And I know right. that that's true. It's a human thing. Right. Um, but it feels especially true with our kids because they have such particular brain chemistry mm -hmm. and, and, you know, just the, the way that they see the world and think about the world, the things that resonate with them or turn them off like it's so unique to them as an individual um and so often the advice is helpful directly but it's also just the love that's offered along with it mm -hmm. that's really important I love that I love that yeah because because it is and I I always feel that I always that's very you know palpable for me when I'm listening to all of you and and you're sharing and and things I always feel this genuine care and, and love mm -hmm. and support. Um, and it's not that, and I, cause again, I think for me, you know, I, the, the moms that I know have neurotypical children. And so mm -hmm. when I would try to talk to them about things, people, again, I, I feel totally safe with, but they have neurotypical kids. And so they would, you know, just again, also from a place of love and caring, try to make suggestions about things mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm always saying, no, like, <laughs> like, no, that doesn't work yeah. for us. You know, um, one of the things I always go back to, and this has been the case with my son since he was really small, but the food, the food preferences. And so yeah. um, he has very particular food preferences. And I would always have people tell me when he gets hungry enough, he'll eat. Yeah. And I would oh, say, yeah. no, he no, won't. He won't. <laughs> you don't understand. The child will starve. If I, because people would be like, well, you shouldn't be cooking two dinners and he need, I mean, mm -hmm. and I'm mock, I'm making like a mocking voice, but it's just like, you don't understand and they can't, right. They don't live in that. And, but I know if I were to come to you with all that, you're like, yep, get it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like what, what two dinners did you cook last yeah, night? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. and no, you don't no. even try like, well, maybe have him do it. Nope. It's just not, or like if one of our kids has a, you know, a, a meltdown, um, if they're overstimulated and they're not regulating and we share, and as old as our kids are, they still have them, you know, they do. Yeah. And yeah. I know if I was to come and talk to you guys about that, you'd get it. You'd be like, yep, 
you know, mm-hmm. happened to me not too long ago. And I mean, so it's other parents that don't have a 16 year old that can lose his marbles for some reason, because I, some minor thing that someone wouldn't think was important. You guys get it. Other people yeah. don't get it and you don't judge it. And so I just so appreciate that. It's just been, you know, and I'm going to put links in the show notes to Mothers Together and Megan Champion's Instagram account, because if you are parenting a neurodivergent child of, of any age, honestly, but if, or you know someone that is, I don't know, I just feel like this has been such a blessing to me. And yeah, no, I I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, she does a really nice job and I think it's, there's such a need, you know, there's such a need Mm -hmm. because, you know, we kind of touched on already the, the logistics of parenting a neurodivergent child are in some ways kind of structured and you can learn them and you can, you know, work your way through that system. And hopefully you end up with a set of different supports and, and interventions that, that make things easier. Right. Right. Um, but, but you as a, as a person, as a mother, in our case, you're not always, you're not part of that equation. Mm -hmm. You know, the priority necessarily is the child and that is a hundred percent right. Um, and in a way, you know, women in middle age mothers, I mean, our identity, our preferences, our, identity just becomes, uh, you know, collateral damage in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And I think that's even more pronounced when you have a neurodivergent child, because all of the inherent messaging around self-sacrifice as a mother and, and, you know, a woman sort of leaving reproductive years and what that means for who we are in society, like, Mm -hmm even another layer of, and your child has special needs and therefore you, you exist to meet those needs, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think, you know, mothers together, our group, places where women in that position can find one another and give each other the support that you can only give if you have lived this, if you have mm-hmm. walked in these shoes, For sure. there's such a need there. And, and, you know, that what's, you know, our little group, mothers together like that's that's great and it isn't nearly enough it isn't nearly enough you know so I'm I'm really glad that you're doing this podcast on middle age in general for women because it's we don't get enough time to talk about this stuff like I feel like when we hang out as girlfriends it's the only thing we talk about you know pretty much whether it's us or, or other friend groups but for it to be formalized and in the light of day and not just you know around a glass of wine or you know, whatever in these kind of informal circumstances, like that needs to happen. We deserve for that to happen. And so I'm really glad that you're, you're doing this and that we get to talk about this topic in particular. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And that was kind of one of the things, you know, that appealed to me about Mothers Together is about the mother, right? It's about the woman. It's about, uh, you know, us and our role Yes. And, and all the things that we do, you know, for our children and the focus of, of providing supports and resources and all the things we do for our children. But it really is the intent of it is to focus on us and our well-being and what we're going through because we spend so much of our time on the child, which, again, we would all do it and we do it every day and we'll do it and we're going to continue to do it. But then at the some at what sacrifice sometimes it usually becomes of our of ourselves we're sacrificing our own well-being our own uh 
you know, care of our, of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, um, one of the things I love about our group is that we are also really good. I feel like about encouraging each other, some of us, you know, doing, whether it's, you know, exercising or getting away for the weekend or doing something with friends or some other type of, of self-care. Um, and we really encourage each other in that. And I, I, I like that we support each other in that. And so for you specifically, when you think about our group and what this has been like, how is it just, you kind of started going into it a little bit, but how has it benefited you I mean, not just as a mother, but as a, as a woman, as a, as a, you know, we're in the midst of, of midlife here. How has it specifically benefited you? We've talked about some of this already, but there's anything you want to add? In a lot, in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, having that space, just having that space set aside, that is for me, for us, but I'm Mm -hmm. speaking from my perspective. So for me to come and share the things that honestly it's the mundane of life right that we can bring to the to the group and say hey i i'm really struggling y'all like i couldn't sleep last night and you know my kids were fighting this morning and it's like where who you know outside of our group where we've decided to show up for each other like who the heck cares like oh you didn't sleep last night me either you know Um, so knowing that that space is there, especially in those super, super hard moments, um, I'll find myself like, you know, when there's something super challenging in my mind, I'll say, well, I can, I can talk to the moms about this. You Mm -hmm. know, I can talk, I can talk to the badass women about this. Yes. That's what our group is called. We call ourselves the badass women. Yes. And I think (laughs) we very much deserve that title. Um, but it just, even in the the hardest moments, I don't feel alone because I know that I can bring it to the group and I know that people will listen Mm -hmm. and I know that people will respond specifically to what I'm talking about. Um, so it, it takes the edge off. It has taken the edge off of, of the hardest times. And honestly, the things that bring me joy, I have the extra joy of knowing that I get to share that and that there's people who will care and Mm -hmm. it will bring you all joy as well. Yeah. And I think there's also something really to, there's something profoundly meaningful about being able to show up for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about it makes me feel this way or it elevates my mood or makes my hard times not so hard. The act of simply holding space for someone else is incredibly, you know, fulfilling mm-hmm. at, for everybody, you know, for everybody, I think for women in particular, Um, it isn't a labor to listen to someone else's problems or to cheer them on when something is going well. It is actually, you know, it does good for my soul as well. And I think, you know, that that's something that I guess was less, uh, like when I entered the group, it was because I was coming from a place of depletion, right? We talk Mm -hmm. a lot about trying to pour from an empty cup. Um, and you know, you can't do that. Right. And we all, we all kind of bump up against that reality regularly in our daily lives. Um, and I think most people do. Um, so I was coming from a place of like, I am just a dried up husk of a human being at this moment. And I just need something to fill my cup and let me know that I'm seen in my brokenness. I'm seen in my, you know, partial Mm -hmm. successes. I'm seen in my utter failures. But what I didn't expect was how much it would benefit me to do that for other people. And, you know, and I think that's, 
that's been a surprise like in a way it's been a surprise and then in a way it's kind of a intellectually coming home of course of course it feels good to show up for other people like we're not we're humans are social animals and Mm -hmm. you know we need that connection and especially given our personal identities as parents of neurodivergent children those personal connections they're extra hard you know they're extra hard um because our attention is taken by our kids and everything else that's demanded of us, because our experiences don't align with so many other people's experiences because of modern life and, you know, phones and screens and all of that stuff. And it it just, you know, and in middle age, many of us are working outside the home. Many of us are in relationship with another adult who also demands, you know, care and feeding and our attention. (laughs) There's just a lot. We're just really stretched thin. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling. I've forgotten the original question. No, Uh, all the benefits. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, this is, you're getting right to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the other thing that, that being part of the group has done for me is that it has in, in listening to other people's problems in giving advice or support, I find that it's easier to show up for myself when I'm not in the group. So I, I know what you all would tell me. You know, I, when I am, when my cup is empty, I can feel it, you know, and before it was just my own internal, like, okay, no, I've just got to put my head down and get through this and do these things. Right. And now I hear you or one of the other moms in the group saying, you know what, girl, just take a nap or like that can wait. That is, this is not the end of the world. Be realistic about what's going on. And like, you can't, you know, you can't sacrifice yourself to save everybody all the time. You won't survive that. And so Mm -hmm. it's just been wonderful. And, you know, in, in terms of takeaways, I think one of the major ones is how similar the fundamentals of our experiences are, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's being seen in the moment to moment. And it's also the recognition that what previously had been this very isolated existence is in fact being mirrored. And I know that this extends beyond our group. I know there are women and, and fathers too, I'm sure, and other caregivers of neurodivergent children who are living this exact type of reality that we are. Um, because I, you know, I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty, mm-hmm. I think the, the odds of us all experiencing versions of this same life, all, as you said, all over the world and in all different time zones and from all different religious and political and backgrounds and all of these things, that's not possible. And that tells me, you know, not only are we not alone, none of us are alone in this experience. And so that's why things like Mothers Together and, you know, opportunities for us to find those shared experiences are so incredibly important. I completely agree. Yeah, I I have the exact same perspective that you do. I know I can come to all of you and you guys will encourage me and support me and you know what I'm going through. And I, I can share, like you said, something like, you know, I know I'm depleted. I know I'm wiped out. But if I come to all of you, you'll affirm that, hey, you know, Nicole, you need to take care. You need to do something for you. And that is, I might be thinking that for myself in my head, but I won't act on it just because mm-hmm. of myself thinking it. But hearing someone else echoing it back to me is really, really powerful. You know, we were talking about this group and and being parents of neurodivergent children and that we, I'm sure, have both had experiences with parents of neurotypical children who try to, 
you know, support us, you know, legitimately or counsel us or, or whatever. And I think our group, you know, we also talk a lot about, you know, whether it's school experiences or experiences our kids have in extracurricular activities or whatever. And there's, you know, parents of neurotypical children in those settings, there's parents of neurodivergent children in those settings. Um, you know, thinking about kind of both sides of the coin. So if you were talking to parents of a child who's just found out they're on the autism spectrum or they have ADHD or Tourette's or whatever the case may be, is there anything you would tell those parents just based on your lived experience so far, anything you would just want them to to know? Cause I think about that a lot. Like I think I'm sure there might be people listening here that maybe have had a grandchild, maybe for example, or a child newly diagnosed. Um, what would you want them to know about being the parent of a neurodivergent child? Yeah. So there's a lot of, I think like specific, specific advice in terms of navigating the world of of neurodivergent parenting, but I think fundamentally the thing that I would want someone to know is, is sort of more of like a baseline understanding. A diagnosis doesn't change who your child is. Mm-hmm. You know, it puts language to what you have been observing. A diagnosis can be really devastating, you know, it, especially the, the first one or the, fir- the sort of like the first formalization of, because as a parent, you can t- you know, you can tell your, you know, your child better than anybody. Mm-hmm. And like, even as a first time parent, very early on, like with my son, I, you know, who I love, like nothing else. Right. But I, I, I remember having thoughts of like, is this really normal? This feels like really super extreme. And, mm-hmm. you know, so getting that first diagnosis and for him, the first diagnosis was of ADHD in a way it's, really heartbreaking, you know, because it's, it's this, it's this codification of my child is different, Mm -hmm. you know, but I I think that the the way to look at that is it's still your child. It's still the same child that you talked in the night before, you know, nothing has fundamentally changed about your child. The other thing that, and, and so try to take from a diagnosis, the good, and the good is the diagnosis gives you a way to understand your child better. It doesn't change who they are, but it gives you a roadmap for not just the underlying sort of causes for what you see manifested in behavior, but for the mechanisms. And by understanding the mechanisms of the way that their brains are working or working differently, Mm -hmm. you can then support them in ways that are going to be vastly more effective than just trying to take a neurotypical lens and like apply it on Mm -hmm. super high level, which is which is what the world kind of tells you to do, especially in the absence of a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the first thing. And then even more fundamentally than that, I would encourage parents who have a new diagnosis to really spend some time with the fact that neurodivergence is not a value statement. It's not a good or a bad thing. It's our children's brains are different than maybe in my case than mine, I think in your case than yours, they Mm -hmm. function very, very differently. And that is going to mean that your parenting experience will be different than if they were neurotypical. It's going to mean that you will quite frankly be left scratching your head a lot of the time trying to navigate what it is that your child is 
reacting to or you know sort of what is the what is causing the behaviors that you're seeing that is that will be difficult as a neurotypical person to really understand but it does it's not it's they are not worse they are not mm-hmm. bad not, right it's it's different it's different yeah. um mm-hmm. It's different. And it's taken me, not that I ever looked at my son and was like, oh, he's worse. He's not. But it's taken me a long time to really kind of profoundly come to terms with the fact that this is a difference and it's a difference for life. You're right. not going to accommodate your child out of neurodivergence. Right. You're not going to discipline them out of it or encourage them out of it or mm-hmm. anything. No matter what you do, they will always be neurodivergent. And so your actions really need to be through a mindset of, I am trying to create and help my child create a path through this world that they can walk Mm -hmm. because the world is built for neurotypical people and it's built for neurotypical people from A to Z. There is no part of our world and school is a wonderful example of this that has neurodivergent people in mind whatsoever. Right. Um, And, you know, and as just a, a little aside, the reward system for our world is not built for neurodivergent people. Mm. And we talk about this a lot in our, you know, the accomplishments that our children have, and they can be really stunning. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about hyper-focus and Mm -hmm. that is something that many, many um, neurodivergent folks have, which is this ability to, to delve into something they care about to a degree that a neurotypical person just can't even, can't fathom. Right. 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 Um, You know, with my son, it's, it's reptiles and amphibians, yeah. you know, I know with, with Nathan, it's, 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 di- it's completely different, right? It's <laughs> yeah. World War II vessels yes. and, and Titanic all and all. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, but, but like that, if we had the right kind of eyes to see it, we collectively, we would be in awe of these people oh. and what they're capable of, but the world doesn't see those things. Nope. And so and school certainly isn't built to um, recognize and foster those things. And so, you know, as a as a parent who's just received the diagnosis, you know, it's a lot. Give yourself space to feel the feelings that you're feeling. There are no wrong feelings. Like it's right. uncharted territory as an individual. And I think as a society, we really have not done any of the work to normalize this or really create a framework that people can comfortably navigate post-diagnosis, you know, so you're not wrong to feel whatever you're feeling. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it's about finding a place as a human being where you can do your best work in life in supporting your child in supporting yourself. Um, and for me, an important part of that was coming to terms with the fact that my child is different he's not broken. Mm-hmm. He's in some ways incredibly more gifted than anybody Absolutely. else I know. You know? Yeah. Um, and how do you return to that knowledge when things get tough? Cause things do get tough, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. So you said that so well, and I felt all of those and experienced all of those things. And, uh, yeah, when, when times are tough, remembering the gifts that our, our children have. And, uh, you know, cause you're going to have the tough times, right. As we, as we know, you, those times are going to come, they're going to come frequently. They're going to come when you expect them and when you don't expect them. And, um, remembering that this child is the same child that they were before the formal diagnosis and that 
they're they're not they're not in any way shape or form um broken or or not the whole child right that they were intended and created to be and that we um you know we are are you know blessed even though I have to remember that sometimes it's a little harder than others but you know it just to get to be a part of their world and get to be welcomed in you know because I think sometimes as moms we are their their safe space to land they we are the ones they come to right with the hard stuff and the big stuff they also take out the hard stuff on us sometimes when they're not happy we are also kind of that sometimes for our kids but there we're also the ones a lot of times that they come to you know um when they're struggling with something or they need to talk about something um and that's a gift too in and of itself and um yeah. so as moms that's you know you have to take that with also with the tough tough you know tough times the tough stuff yeah as well and you know, one, one other thing that I've, I've really been with both my kids recently picking up on is, you know, I think because we're not in their shoes, you know, there's a lot of feeling like we have to be the conductor of their life and we have to, you know, head things off the pass and we have to figure out when natural consequences are, you know, should be kicking in. And, but they're a human, just like we are, you know, and they are in the world just like we are. And where we're seeing the world rejecting them in a lot of ways, they're feeling the world rejecting them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think that's another thing to really keep in mind. Like it's very super easy for me. And I think for a lot of people to get in the headspace of like the fixer or the, you know, sort of the, the, the person in charge, the, the neurotypical person who has to make all this stuff happen. Right. And it's easy to lose sight of the fact that like our kids want the same thing that every other person on the planet wants. They want love. They want to be seen. They want to express themselves and they're up against Mm -hmm. so many obstacles because the ways that they function are just different. Right. Um, so I think a lot of you know, and this is something when, you know, you were talking about how where there's safe space and that can sometimes lead to being, you know, kind of the people who get the the, the worst of it. Yeah. Um, and that's absolutely true. And I, and what I've been trying and not always successfully, but it's <laughs> really <laughs> trying to keep in mind that when that lashing out happens, when that kind of, you know, I don't have anywhere else I can express it, these big emotions. And so I'm going to express them in your face. When that happens, that's pain, you know, that's mm-hmm. pain showing up. And, mm-hmm. and as hard as it is, especially given everything else that we are tasked with doing, like, if we can try to hold space for that and try to not further the harm that the world's put on them in terms of the judgment and the, oh, you're not like the rest of us and you're not right. quite right. They get that message, you know? So to yeah. the extent that we can hold up their strengths and affirm for them that they're that the same things that our group does for us, right? Yeah. That they're seen, that they're valued, that, that they matter. Um, I would just, for a, a per- person receiving a diagnosis, just trying to have that as something that you come back to throughout time. And you won't always be able to hold that idea. I can't, I don't know anybody who can, mm-hmm. but um, to try and to have that as kind of an aspirational goal of I, I I recognize that that this is necessary that this is I'm called to do this in addition to all the other things exactly exactly yeah no I I'm just I'm been nodding my head I'm gonna have a neck ache here I've been nodding my head along with everything that you're saying 
Um, to kind of take this then one step further. So you are writing a book about parenting a neurodivergent child and you've been sharing parts of that with our group and, and things um, as you've been working on, on the book. Share a little bit about why you're writing the book. Um, how did that idea kind of come to you um, and who the book is for, you know, kind of what your goals are for the book to share a little bit about that and what that process has been like so far. Absolutely. So this is definitely a passion project. It is in no way related to my professional life um, (laughs) at all. But basically the, the idea for the book really came out of our group discussions. Um, So my background is I'm, I'm trained as a researcher. I have a PhD in public policy. So a lot of my sort of professional experience and I'm a, I'm a qualitative researcher specifically. So Mm -hmm. a lot of my professional experience has been in a space of focus groups and surveys and sort of how do you divine from people's narrative responses, kind of trends and themes that are uh, pretty durable, right? And not specific to a person, but more generalizable. And so the group, I mean, immediately the group gave all the benefits that, that we've already talked about of feeling seen and heard and affirmed and but what I started to to recognize very quickly in our discussions, and we all did, this was certainly not some revelation that I was alone in having, but our experience are so common. You know, the specifics are, are you know, maybe not like your son loves ships. My son loves snakes. You know, that, that, there's a difference there. But your son is, you know, probably the most knowledgeable person on the planet about the ships that he cares about. Mm-hmm. And I could say about the same thing for my son about snakes. Yeah. You know, so as soon as you kind of zoom out from the granular details of our experiences, you start to see these very distinct themes forming. And essentially what the goal of the book is, is to bring our experience to a readership of probably mostly other mothers, um, because I am aware like there's things that we have in common. We're, we all identify as female. We're all white. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's certainly, th- despite our uh, many differences, there mm-hmm. are some fundamental similarities, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't want to claim that our viewpoint, our experience is necessarily just universal for everybody. Mm-hmm. Although I think there's definitely elements of it that, that will be, mm-hmm. um, so I think the primary target is probably mothers of neurodivergent children. Um, but what the book seeks to do is to bring this sense of being seen and understood and in community to people, even if they can't you know, find a group like this for themselves. Um, and I, and I sincerely hope that they can. Um, but the way that I'm seeking to do that is essentially through the course of our many months of very long and detailed conversations, I've come up with essentially an index of topics that I feel we have all chimed in on all affirmed for one another. Yes, this is real. I'm, I'm also Mm -hmm. experiencing this, this is what it looks like in my life. So identifying those things and, and it could be something as, you know, sort of tactile as a meltdown and dealing with a meltdown. It could be something as sort of pervasive and all encompassing as feeling isolated, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as a parent. Um, and I think at this point, the index probably has, oh, I don't know, over 30 individual topics in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm organizing those into chapters. And basically the idea is to introduce the reader to this notion of this as a part of our experience 
and couple that with some um, stories that are specific to us as parents. Mm-hmm. Like my my child had a meltdown in Ikea that resulted in vomit across half of the dining <laughs> hall, right? Like that's actually true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's supposed to be humorous. It's supposed to be as lighthearted as something like this can be. But because what we were talking about pre-finding one another, this sense of, am I alone in this? Is this just totally, like, is my experience like sideways to everybody else's? The purpose of the book is to say, no, it isn't. Your experience is actually exactly like mine and hers and hers and hers, right? And I think there's a lot of strength and solace that comes from just knowing I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And I think so. that's been a big part of the benefit of our group. And then the other part, and we use, I know we use this phrase a lot, you are the mother that your child needs. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the sort of companion message to you're not alone and you are the person who's meant to be doing this and you can do this. Not perfectly every day. You are not going to show up and feel like you are hitting it out of the park day right. in and day out. You know, that's not realistic. you know. But I think like we've been talking about, people in our position – especially as our kids get older, you you feel like you've kind of fallen by society's wayside. And so the purpose of this book is to say, no, you haven't. You know, about 20% of children come up with a neurodivergent diagnosis, in, you know, before age 18, 20%, like that's one in five. That's huge. Yeah, it's a lot. You know? Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, what we experience is a common experience, you know, and I've also like, I do have some other mom friends who have neurodivergent children. And since we've all started having these very open conversations, I've decided, well, I'm just going to start broaching this with other people. And what I find is that, you know, there's initially like, a, oh, wait, are we allowed to talk about this? But then right. very quickly, it's like, oh, my God, yeah, me too. You know, so I I, I feel like th- this book is not, it's not a an advice book. It is not, you know, I mean, yes, there's a little bit of advice peppered in, but again, always with the caveat, like we bring to our discussions of if this helps great. And if it doesn't ignore it completely, you know, because this is coming from a place of this shit is hard, you know, you are doing the best that you can. And so that's really the intent of the book is to give people what may be honestly, just given my own experience, the first inclination that they're not alone in in the details in the sort of the moment to moment you're not alone mm-hmm. and you are enough so it's it's intended to be funny it's there's curse words in there because yeah. I curse a lot <laughs> as I just demonstrated um it's but it's really meant to just be a step along the way to normalizing our experience our children's experience this is the, you know we're coming from a, a sort of a place of like non-existent support in the areas we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This book is intended to be part of that conversation. I mean, no individual can carry this conversation alone. Not me, not Megan Champion, not any of us, right? right? Nor should we. This is really meant to put some daylight on some of the stuff that has been in the dark for so long and really take away the isolation and honestly, some of the shame, you know, I think, you know, everybody follows Brene Brown, right? So we know, we know guilt is I did something bad and shame is I am bad, right? right. And I think, I think that neurodivergence and neurodivergent parenting often comes with a heaping helping of shame, mm-hmm. whether it's shame about, you know, my child is different and I would absolutely push back on that with no hesitation whatsoever. Right. Uh, I don't think shame has any part in that discourse, but 
shame about I am not doing this well enough. And I think that's the burden that so many of us carry, you know, and so this is really meant to say, screw that. Mm-hmm. You are, yes. Like you are up against odds that are incalculable. Like you are, and you are kicking ass. And that's yes. kind of the bottom line is I want to bring as much as can be brought from a person to person conversation to people who can't be in that conversation. And I also honestly want to hopefully be one of the people breaking open this conversation more broadly, because I think, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways in which society is is completely unfair to particular segments of the population, mm-hmm. right? And, and we talk a lot about some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one that I don't think really gets a lot of attention. There's mm-hmm. some 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 holdouts that we collectively have decided. Well, we don't have to. We don't really have to look over there because that's right. genuinely yeah that that that's less than. Yeah. Um, and I would argue that 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 this that neurodivergence and that parenting and and you know, being in the lives of neurodivergent people is something that we have yet to really just own that this is normal. Mm-hmm. This right. is normal. This is one in five guys. This yep. is one in five. Like mm-hmm. the fact that there's any, any kind of lack of transparency or any kind of shame or otherness to this is frankly ridiculous. So I think that this is long overdue. I think your work with the podcast, you know, doing the same thing around women in middle age. Like, I think it's, Mm -hmm. you know what? It's time. Like, it's time. Generations before us, they did other work. I really think that this work is falling to us and like, let's do it. I think it's time. Yeah. Oh, yes. Amen. I completely wholeheartedly agree. And I've had an opportunity to take a sneak peek at some of what you've started writing. And my first thought was, gosh, I wish I would have had this when I got Nathan's diagnosis, um, you know, and it's going to be such an incredible resource and encouragement and blessing to so many people. And I can't wait for, you know, you to put this out into the world, however that may happen. Uh, because I think, like you said, one in five, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. there are lots and lots of parents out there who are in the same boat as we are that will benefit from knowing they're not alone, that you are doing a great job, your child who, you know, is who they are and you're the parent that, that your child needs. And and this book is going to do that and so much more. And so I can't wait when you're getting ready to launch the book. I definitely want to have you back on because I want to talk more about, about that and, um, you know, that process as well. And I just, I can't wait for, for this and just to be a part of the experience that you have as you're writing and, getting to, you know, look at, uh, the content and the topics. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the topics, I mean, it's, there's so much, and I think that's part of it. The conversation too, it can feel so overwhelming when you're parenting a child like ours and to have a resource like this where I can, oh gosh, this is happening. I can pull, you know, pull that chapter open and read and and resource myself with information and, and just assurance, right. That, okay, this happened. I'm not alone. This happens to other parents and other kids. And, you know, I mean, that is just, that's something that I'm sure all of us, you know, if we think about our group, just, just our group, just the seven of us wish we could have had. Um, so it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I I'm also really excited, which, you know, you, you know, that something, you know, you're meant to do something when you find yourself 
you know, before you fall into bed thinking, oh, I could just, I could just do 10 minutes, you know, like yeah. I just, I just wanted, you're not, you don't have to force yourself. You nope. just want to do it. Right. Um, so yeah, exactly. no, I'm very excited. I'm just, it's honestly, it's, it's such a cool thing to be able to kind of have these relationships and then recognize like, wow, I have benefited so incredibly I want to pay it forward. And I think we all want to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's one of the things I think that also really connects the group is, you know, everybody has been on the struggle bus and has a permanent assigned seat on the struggle bus. Right. But we want to help each other through that. And I think we want to help other people through it as well to the best of our ability. And so, you know, I think that's kind of, that's, that's the motivation for doing this. And I hope that it comes through in, in the book and, you know, I, I hope it is the start of a, a bigger conversation. Me too. I think it's amazing. And yeah, like I said, I can't wait. And uh, again, you will definitely, uh, we'll definitely have another episode when, when all of this uh, book stuff starts launching, because it's going to be Absolutely. exciting. I cannot, <laughs> cannot wait. Well, this conversation, I think we could probably talk all day long and we kind of do sometimes on Marco Polo. Sometimes we're on it on and off <laughs> throughout the day, depending Very on what's true. going on. So, um, but I think we could talk all day about this. Again, I think it's just a topic that, like you said, is not really out there into the world like it needs to be. And um, it is a group of of people, our, our kids are, are ones that have kind of been left not as well addressed as others. And, and we, um, you know, as their parents can hopefully play a role in, you know, championing them and, and advocating. And we all do that every day anyway, but uh, for the broader... Yes, for the broader conversation, I think, um, you know, our conversation today and, and others that we'll have in the future are, are a piece of that and a part of that. And your book will be absolutely a huge component, you know, to that as well. Um, I always like to ask every guest a couple of questions as we wrap up the episode, just to reflect, because this podcast is about, you know, we are both in the midst of midlife. Uh, yes. We are parenting uh, children. Um, we're also, you know, um, in lots of different, whether it's you know, career stages and, uh, have older parents and we have lots of different things going on in our lives outside of our kiddos, believe it or not, (laughs) there's a lot going on that we all have. Um, but I like for, for guests to kind of reflect a little bit about this stage and we know there's challenges. Um, we know there are hard things about being in this stage, but on the other side of that, if you had to say, what is something that uh, for you has been one of the best things about being in midlife so far? So I think this is for me and I, I've, I've heard other people definitely echoing or, you know, saying similar things. Um, I think by midlife, you're just more comfortable in your own skin. You know, I feel like, you know, I can speak for myself. When I was younger, I really felt this just urgent need to respond and match what other, you know, respond to what other people expected, match what they were doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and sort of compete on this playing field that I thought we all had agreed was the, you know, how we were going to be measured in terms of our worth, our success, our, you know, yeah, who we are as people. And I Mm -hmm. think as, as, as I've aged, partly I've, the world has changed around me. And I, this is something that I'm also really starting to, to see very clearly, especially as my older son is getting older himself and sort of 
mirroring current culture to me and I don't recognize it. Mm -hmm. He's using something that I don't know. He's using, you know, social media platforms that I have no interest in. Um, And a younger me, I think would have been very panicked by this or very, I would have felt the need like, okay, let me get like, I'm, I'm on the outs with society. I like, I got to figure this out. Younger me or older me hears those things and says, oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so kids today don't wear jeans. Cool. I do. Yeah. You know, I think there's a confidence that comes with being older and just knowing who you are. And there's some comfort in seeing the world march on beyond you and just, mm-hmm. I am not the center of everything. Like mm-hmm. I can be better at some things, worse at others. I may never dot those I's or cross those T's. And ultimately, the universe will continue on. And so it gives a lot of freedom um, to just do the things that you can do and care about the things that you do care about. Mm -hmm. Because in sort of shifting the focus away from yourself, you also shift the burden away. And so there's a lot of freedom in that. And not every minute, you know, this is a process. I, I'm, I'm definitely moving in this direction. I don't feel mm-hmm. like I'm at that destination um, yet, but I, but it's definitely been a distinct part of entering middle age is this um, both recognition of myself as part of an infinitely complex, always changing universe and just the freedom that, that comes from, from not having to be everything to everybody and compete, compete on every front. I'm, perfectly fine with not ranking in many, many areas of life if I can focus on the ones that, that do matter to me. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. That is, that is amazing. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And lastly, if you could go back to <laughs> Josie in her, her 20s or in that earlier stage of life, what would you tell Josie about middle age? What would you want oh, her to know? I think I I think I would try to impress upon myself that what I want and need matters. Mm-hmm. When I was younger, I was a people pleaser. I was trying to like I just said kind of follow trends and, you know, be in with other people and it caused me to do some things that weren't centering what actually mattered to me. And I mm-hmm. think that if I had made different choices and sort of been truer to my own internal compass, those earlier years would have been easier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to fake it. It's hard to fake it. And even if you're totally committed to kind of those external metrics, it, it never quite feels genuine. And so mm-hmm. I don't regret anything. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I regret something. <laughs> generally speaking, I really right. don't don't regret, um, you know, life choices or anything along those lines. But I do look back at a younger version of myself and have some pity just for my inability to give myself grace, Mm -hmm. to give myself importance in my own life. Um, And I know that I'm not alone in that. I think a lot of young people struggle with that. I think a lot of young people who identify as women in particular struggle with that because Mm -hmm. we receive so many messages about our appearance and our worth being, you know, relative to how some external force is valuing us. And it's really hard when you're new in the world to say, no, actually what matters is these set of things that I, that I know matter. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think I would try to just tell my younger self to give myself grace and also 
and also just to embrace being young and healthy and have the world in front of me and not so caught up in, am I fat? Is my makeup right? But, mm. You know, those like, little details that ultimately matter not at all. I look at pictures of myself when I was young, not often, but when I do, and I can usually remember the moment it was taken. And I know that on that day, I probably woke up and felt ugly or felt fat or was upset because I was having an issue with a boyfriend who I'm no longer have no any connection to whatsoever. Right. You know, all these things that mattered so much. And, and honestly, like I allowed to downgrade my experience of life that just ultimately didn't matter at all. Yeah. So again, it's sort of that, that's the, the flip side of the coin of the beauty of midlife is that you can look back at the before times and see, oof, okay, didn't do that quite right. Yeah. Um, but but also look back and give that person grace because I know I was doing the best that I could at that time. Absolutely. I just didn't have the lived experience or, mm-hmm. you know, the wisdom to the extent that I have any wisdom at all, you know, but to to know to do better for myself. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Well, this has been amazing. I, again, I think we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours about this topic. And I would love to have you back um, as you're preparing to, you know, put the book out into the world and uh, talk more about that process. And I can't wait to read more as you're writing and drafting and going through that process as well. Um, But Jesse, I just want to really thank you for being on the podcast today. And uh, I know that there are going to be people out there that are going to listen to this, whether they're parenting a neurodivergent child or they know someone that is, uh, that are going to be really blessed by our conversation. So thank you so much for being on today. Thank you so much, Nicole, for having me on and also just for your friendship and, Mm -hmm. you know, for being part of my life and making it so much better. I agree. Thanks to you too. Have a wonderful day. You too. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow the show to make sure the latest episode is on your podcast feed each week. I would greatly appreciate a rating and a five-star review on the podcast platform you're listening on. It helps others to find the show. If there are topics you'd like to have discussed on the show, please email me at the marvelous middle podcast at gmail.com. The Marvelous Middle Age Podcast is produced by Riley Mullane and is part of the Annanella Studios Network.